Thank you for checking out this episode of Cafe Manga. If you enjoy the show, please sign up to the newsletter for more content not included in the show. You can sign up at cafemanga.substack.com or see the link in the episode description. listeners to another episode of Cafe Manga. So I left a little hint as to what the next few episodes of this podcast was going to be about. And if you didn't figure it out, well, clearly from the episode title, I'm going to be talking about the super popular title, Dr. Stone. Yes, I am, of course, very excited to talk about Dr. Stone. It is a super popular show, and it deserves to be considered that. So I'm sure those of you who are listening to this episode who are also Dr. Stone fans are very eager to check out more of Dr. Stone, especially because they confirmed there will be a fourth and final season of the anime before I start. I'm just going to briefly explain how I'm going to be discussing Dr. Stone on this podcast. Now, given that I have no idea how many of you listening to this podcast have actually seen the anime or have read the manga, I had to really think hard about how to approach this. And incidentally, this is not just for Dr. Stone, it's for any title. So after thinking about it, I've decided that the way I'm going to approach this is that the beginning part of the episode, I will do a very general review with very minimal spoilers. I'm going to talk very briefly about what the basic premise of the story is, a little bit of info about the anime, manga, light novel, whatever form of media is available for the particular title. And then I will give you one warning about spoilers before I do a more deep dive discussion about the title. For those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Stone, once I finish the general review of Dr. Stone, you will probably want to stop the episode because you don't want to be spoiled. But if you don't care about spoilers or you are familiar with Dr. Stone, then please continue listening. And in particular for Dr. Stone, due to the amount of content there is, because it is a 26-volume manga series and there are multiple episodes of Dr. Stone, and I literally just mentioned at the beginning of this episode that there will be a fourth and final season coming up. Most likely it will be released in 2025 at the earliest. When I get up to content that is going to cover 
what will be in the fourth season, I will give you spoiler warnings again about that. In fact, because of how much content there is, I actually decided that I'm going to break up Dr. Stone into four episodes, basically covering each of the four seasons. Now, since the fourth season is, as far as I know, yet to be produced or it's currently in production, I'm going to be discussing only from the manga and it's obviously going to spoil stuff so if you have not read the manga or you just don't want to be spoiled then you will probably want to skip the fourth episode of this four episode mini series that I'm going to be doing. With that said I'm going to start my general review of Dr. Stone. What is Dr. Stone? Dr. Stone is a manga series written by Riichiro Inagaki and illustrated by Boichi, who is actually a South Korean artist. It was originally serialized on Shueisha's weekly Shonen Jump from March 2017 to March 2022, and all of the chapters have been collected into 26 Tankoban. And the manga has been released in English translation by Viz Media. You can purchase physical books as well as the digital manga, which is actually how I read it. So all the major retailers that sell manga, you should be able to find Dr. Stone since it's a very popular title. The anime TV series, as I mentioned, so far there has been three seasons with a bonus mini movie that takes place in between season two and season three. It is available in subtitled and also as a dub on Crunchyroll. And it is also apparently airing on TV on Adult Swim. I personally watch it on Crunchyroll. I haven't actually watched it on Adult Swim, but for those of you who do watch Adult Swim, it's available that way. There is also apparently a game available on Android and iOS that has been released in North America on November 28th, 2023. Now that I gave you the basic info of media and how to obtain Dr. Stone for yourself, what is this Dr. Stone about? In 2019, a mysterious flash suddenly petrifies all the humans on Earth, and the human race becomes frozen in stone for about 3,700 years. That is until 16-year-old science prodigy Senku Ishigami suddenly revives and finds out what's happened to civilization. And he decides that he's going to spend the rest of his life, if necessary, to unpetrifying the rest of humanity and find out what caused the petrification to begin with. So he spends the next six months with his newly revived friend Taiju Oki to figure out the mystery and along the way they make additional allies and some enemies as they speed along and try to figure out what caused the whole petrification disaster in the first place. So can he and his friends succeed? Can they? Will they? This is of course as you would imagine a sci-fi genre. There is also some adventure and of course it is post-apocalyptic. Now, with that said, my basic review of this is that this is a very 
entertaining story. It's actually very well written, very well drawn as well, if you check out the manga and, of course, the anime. I thought this premise is a very interesting premise to really explore not just science, but also just discussing what is humanity, really. What is humanity all about? What are the good things and the bad things about it? And if a disaster happens, okay, where there's a small group of survivors, is it worth it? Is it worth spending the time and effort to try to rebuild human civilization. Okay, that is one of the running questions that happens throughout the series. And I will say that in terms of the manga, it's definitely a page turner. As soon as I found out that not only was there a manga, that the manga series was actually complete and all 26 volumes were translated, you bet I bought every single volume. And it took me about two weeks or so to binge read the entire series because I was just fascinated. And also to be fair, by the time I started reading the manga, I actually had finished watching season three, part one. So I was kind of speed reading through the first 13 volumes of the series because the first 13 volumes of the manga actually was what seasons one to the special movie and the first half of season three covered. So I would say a good chunk of the other 13 volumes was covered in the second half of season three. There's still a good amount of material that's going to get covered in the final season which is all I'm going to say for now. I'm going to wait until those particular episodes of this podcast to address those. But overall, I would say that if you're into adventure, post-apocalyptic stories, and sci-fi, you will definitely want to read the manga, and you will definitely want to watch the anime. And of course, you are going to want to read the manga if you are just way too eager to find out what the heck happens after season three ended. But if you are really patient and you want to watch the anime, then like, good luck to you. You're going to have at least another year to wait. So before I end the non-super spoilery review part, I will say that for those of you who are not overly familiar with anime, especially anime that's longer than 12, 13 episodes, it's very common for anime series to actually change the opening and ending credit theme songs every 12 to 13 episodes. As you would imagine with Dr. Stone, Dr. Stone has 57 episodes. So there have been a few changes in the music. And I don't know about the rest of you who've watched the show, but I would say that Season three, part two, the opening theme song is actually, I think, my favorite one out of the bunch. I think it's really beautiful. It's really wonderfully written. And there's also a haunting quality in the music and also the animation they did for the opening theme. It's just, wow, okay, this is gorgeous. And it has slight melancholy to it, but also... It does have a bit of hopefulness as well in the song Haruka. Well, yeah, that is my super basic non-spoilery review of Dr. Stone overall. Now I'm going to get into some spoilery 
more deep dive discussions. For the rest of this episode, I am going to basically discuss a few things that I thought about season one. The next episode, I'm going to be discussing season two plus the bonus movie the title Ryusui, because season two was actually a very short season. And then, of course, naturally, the one after that, I'm going to be discussing season three. And then the episode after that one is going to be super spoilery, as I said, for anyone who has not read the manga. It will be covering the rest of the Dr. Stone series and discussing some of the things which should be coming up in season four. Once again, for those of you who do not want to be spoiled what happened in season one, I will see you in a future episode, okay? Now that I've already warned people that I'm about to get into spoilery stuff and I'm going to do a more deep dive discussion of season one, okay? Presumably, if you're still listening to this episode, you already know plot-wise what happens in season one, okay? But very briefly... The first 24 episodes that season one consists of, you, of course, have Senku and Taiju and Yuzuriha wake up. And, of course, unfortunately, Senku ends up making his first enemy, Sukasa. And, of course, the friends have to split up and Senku has to find more allies to his more humanitarian cause of reviving humanity. And then he winds up meeting people in a village that he didn't expect to exist. And of course, it's a mystery as to where these villagers actually came from when presumably all the humans on Earth had been petrified. And of course, as we later find out in the season, it turns out that the village is named Ishigami Village, as in Senku's family name. And he discovers that all these people are basically descendants of the International Space Station astronaut crew who were not affected by the petrification beam and they eventually got back on a Soyuz capsule back on Earth. And of course, they naturally had children. And over time, these many generations of children grew a modest population of people who include the people that Senku meets at Ishigami Village. And of course, the season progresses where we find out Tsukasa has revived more people using the revival fluid that Senku had, through trial and error, figured out. And he's been using the revival fluid to awaken young people who are physically strong and capable to assist him on his ideology of what human civilization should be. And of course, the season ends with an upcoming war between the two factions, the Kingdom of Science and Sukasa's Kingdom of Might. Okay, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to discuss some of the characters we meet in this first season arc, and I'm going to talk about my opinions of some of the characters I'm not going to talk about all the characters because there are way too many characters. This is a total ensemble piece type of story. But yeah, I'm going to talk about a few of the characters and what I think of them. And if any of you listeners agree or disagree with my opinions, I highly welcome you to go to my Substack and leave me comments. Start and join in the discussion. 
of what you think of the show, what you think of the characters. Do you agree or disagree with my opinions, etc.? Of course, we need to start off this conversation with our man of the hour himself, Senku Ishigami. I have to say, Senku is a really interesting character, not just because he is a science genius, intelligent guy, but I feel like he's a really interesting character in the sense that when you look at him compared to other protagonists in a lot of sci-fi stories, a lot of shonen type stories, he is really unique. You do have a lot of characters that are pretty intelligent characters. But what I think is unique about him is that when you look at him on the surface, he comes across as like a really pragmatic, very logical, completely unsentimental type of person. And yet, in truth, beneath all of that, he is actually surprisingly a lot more sentimental than you would think he is. Because there is nothing that logical when... You really think about it. Considering how much physical damage humanity, humans as a species, has done to the planet. And then when you look at how the world is after 3,700 years of petrification happened, you see that basically nature retook over the planet. And the world has, from the natural world perspective, has actually moved on and managed perfectly fine without humans around, or rather, without billions of humans running around, okay? So from that perspective, there is absolutely no reason why you should revive 7 billion people, okay? There's just no reason for you to do that. And even if you do, where do you have all the food and resources to do that? Because what keeps coming up in the series is the fact that the Earth has evolved back to almost like a Stone Age level of technology and understanding, especially amongst the few people that actually exist outside of the people that got revived. So it's like, where do you have the knowledge and resources to help 7 billion people pick up where they left off. Everybody has to do things from scratch again. And yet Senku has this idea that he wants to revive everybody, which is really fascinating because then you have the next character I'll talk about, which is, of course, his almost direct opposite, Sukasa. Sukasa is physically the complete opposite of Senku. He is really strong, athletic, MMA fighter, and he is also a teenager. And he has this very idealistic idea of how humanity, especially the old world civilization, like how it used to be before the petrification was full of greed and selfishness and harmful to the environment, etc. And he has this idea that the problem is that it's the adults who are corrupt and leading a corrupt world. And it's the young people who should be recreating a civilization into a better world, better than what they had before. So his idea is that if you are going to restart civilization, it should be with young people who are strong and capable with newer and better ideas than in the old world. And he just does not agree with Senku's idea of like, ultimately reviving everybody because of the threat of 
restarting corruption and everything. And he almost compounds it to a certain degree with science being a corrupting force. Because when you think about it, and again, it comes up in the series, but science and technology that develops from the scientific method can create an equal society in the sense that it's no longer about who is the strongest, who has a say of how things go. Even people who are not the physically strongest, but who are very smart, can create tools and create a system where they have as much ability and as much say in how things go as the super strong people. And Sukasa tries to rationalize his view by saying that he doesn't object to science per se, but he just doesn't like the idea of weapons being created, using technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There may be some people who agree with Sukasa's perspective, but I'll be honest with you, I think it's complete nonsense. It's complete idealistic nonsense. And there's something also a little hypocritical about his perspective, about like his reason for why he feels that human civilization should be restarted in the way he's thinking of. Because the thing is that you're in essence going to create a society where only physically capable people are the ones running things. If you were to assume for a moment that all these capable people that you revived and whatever grow up and they start families of their own and they start reproducing a new generation, it's like what's going to happen if unfortunately some of your next generation kids or the generations after that, you're eventually going to have some kids who are going to be born with a lot of disadvantages physically speaking, they may even have interests that aren't related to physical prowess, then how do these types of children fit in? How do they fit in a world where only the physically capable are going to have a place in the society or more say in the society? So then you're, in essence, going to create a second class in other words, where you have people who are in power and those who aren't. You're in essence creating a new hierarchy of advantage and disadvantage. That's one of the things that popped into my head when I first watched the anime series, when we got to the part where Sukasa was explaining his position. And that's not a very good position to be in. And not to mention, it's why exactly are only physical capable people the only ones who get to be revived here. When you think about it, for Sukasa, his own background, it's not really explained exactly what was wrong with her, but his sister was very physically ill, very physically disadvantaged. And it's only because the petrification revival process ended up curing what probably was an incurable disease. So if it wasn't for the fact that this whole situation happened and she got cured, she would be considered one of the people who shouldn't be in this kind of society, really. And another thing also, okay, is that Sukasa is a teenager and he has this idea in his head about, oh, adults are corrupt. Eventually, you and all these other peers who are teenagers, maybe in their early 20s at best, Eventually, all of you guys are going to become the old folks, the adults in the society. 
So you're telling me that in no way, shape or form, none of you guys are going to end up being corrupt yourselves. There's like some lack of like real logic and understanding of human nature happening here. And the thing is that Sukasa is also an example of ideological zealots. Ideological zealots are the type of people who have strong beliefs in a certain ideology and they will fight to the death to make their ideology happen or to enforce it or to spread it to other people because they feel that this ideology is the right way to go about doing things. All too often, ideological people with this type of mindset, they don't acknowledge that not everybody will agree with them. And if people don't agree with them, well, they must be a threat to my ideology and we should get rid of all of them. And that in turn makes you a corrupt force of a different kind. You argue, okay, that this other ideological system is the corrupt one, is the one that is going to destroy what should be a better world. You're now in essence, becoming the corrupt danger that's going to destroy things. And of course, we see throughout history many examples of ideological zealots who start these movements that create just as much chaos as anything, if not more chaos. Life is not about your way or the highway here. It's about having to work together That is the way to make society better, is that people need to participate and talk to each other, work together, find something to compromise on. That is how you make things better, okay? It is not your way or the highway. And that's about as far as I'm going to go with that discussion. But this, in essence, comes up again and again throughout Dr. Stone. It had to be said. But anyway, another interesting character... I'll talk about is, of course, Gen Asagiri, who at first glance, he comes all across as like a very self-centered kind of sleazy person. But along the way, we realize that, yes, there is a lot more to him. He, in his own way, is a bit like Senku in the sense that he comes across as a purely self-interested guy who just doesn't really care about anything except himself. But in essence, he actually does very much care about humanity. And you get hints at this when you realize that as a mentalist, he is very familiar with human psychology. When you're a person who really understands human psychology, how people think and behave... You're one of two types of people, okay? You either become more of a humanitarian because you really get to know, like, how people think, or you're some sort of sociopath who is going to take advantage of your understanding of human psychology and behavior to really manipulate people into doing whatever you want so that you can get away with all sorts of crap. You're basically one of those two things. And we definitely see throughout the series, Gen using his knowledge and ability to manipulate people. But the thing is that ultimately his manipulation of people is to help humanity as a whole. Because the only way to make sure that things turn out better for everybody is that everyone needs to get together and pitch in to make whatever the big goal you're trying to achieve happen. And of course, 
given how there are just so many humans out and about in this new stone world that Earth has turned into, you need every person you can get to help out. And if you have to use a little bit of wordplay and psychological trickery to convince people to join in, then that's what you're going to have to do. And that is what he does throughout the series. And yeah, his character is very well written, very thought out. Chrome, okay, is another interesting character. What I like about Chrome is that he is one of the characters on the show who is in essence, a proxy for the audience because he does have some intelligence to him. He's not a stupid guy. He is actually very intelligent. His problem is that he lacks a lot of the knowledge because if he actually had a lot more knowledge, he would be just as capable as Senku in reality. Maybe not a genius, but he would definitely be very capable. And him being Senku's partner slash assistant in all things science, he learns more. And it gets to the point where towards the end of season one and then through the rest of the series, he actually starts being able to figure out how to solve problems by himself, not always just doing whatever Senku says. He actually is able to figure stuff out and solve problems. And over time, he does eventually develop as a real scientific partner for Senku. And we also have a third partner in the whole restart of science and technology, who is, of course, old man Kosaki. And Kosaki is very capable in a different way. He is capable in his knowledge of craft work, which, of course, in a pre-industrial civilization that they currently are in, they need a expert craftsman to help recreate some things in order to make other things happen. That is just how scientific progress works. And Kosaki is just absolutely amazing. Like he is learning how to do all sorts of crazy stuff that he would have no concept of. And yet he uses his experience to actually figure out how to make what would seemingly be impossible things otherwise happen. So he's a great partner in this venture. And of course, to end this episode, I am, of course, going to talk about Kohaku. Kohaku is the first person Senku meets in this new stone world who is not somebody who is petrified. And what's amazing about Kohaku is that she is a very straightforward character. And even without knowing a ton about Senku, she only knows very basic info about Senku. She was prepared to trust him and lead him to her village because he is, of course, a complete stranger. And Ishigami Village has a policy of not allowing strangers to enter their village. So the fact that she was willing to introduce a complete stranger to her village and help him along his journey to revive all of humanity, she puts a lot of faith in him because she has very sharp instincts about who is a good person and who is not a good person. And she really uses that instinct to realize that Senku is actually a good guy despite his gruff exterior. But also she quickly realizes that 
Senku's knowledge could really do a lot to help save her sick sister from her otherwise deadly illness. And also, he can bring about a lot of change and improvement to the village, which, of course, he does. She remains one of his cheerleaders, in essence, very supportive. And she wholeheartedly embraces the changes that he brings about because they are helping her people. And it makes sense that she cares so much, not just because she's a member of the village, but also she is the daughter of the previous head of the village before, of course, Senku ends up becoming the head of the village. So she does come from a position of leadership. So she does recognize the value of what Senku is doing to help everyone. And she, of course, has a similar philosophy of wanting to help people to make things better for everyone. So that is the episode. So tune in next time when I will be discussing season two and also, of course, the Ryusui movie. And of course, I'm also going to be talking about some other characters that I didn't highlight in this episode that make more of an impact in season two. Thanks and see you next time. Did you enjoy this episode? Share this episode with a friend to get notified when the next episode drops along with extra content not in the show. Sign up to the newsletter. Go to cafemanga.substack.com or check the link in the episode description.